I don't know about you, but for me, it is easy as we're going through this series, sermon series, looking at spiritual dangers, to be discouraged. It's especially easy to be discouraged when you and I see our own failures related to those dangers. Well, I was reading a devotional this last week that said, you and I should not be discouraged by our spiritual weakness and failures. Let me turn me down just a little bit in the house. Because our spiritual weakness and failures are where Jesus' mercy and his forgiveness and his power shine bright. And the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus isn't put off by our weaknesses. And we need that reminder. Now today, as we continue our sermon series, looking at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation and the dangers that are related to each, we're looking at something that we all deal with and something we all have, and that's reputation. So let's read together uh, today's letter, which I ask you to remain seated. Let's read together from the screen, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have this still in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let me give just a teeny bit of background on Sardis, and then we'll look at, uh, get into the letter. The city of Sardis was loca- is located about 30 miles from Thyatira, and if you notice, at least in our terms today, these cities are fairly close together not too far apart, the seven cities where the churches are. Sardis was a small city, but it was very wealthy, and it also had very good natural defenses, and very few places had that. And it appears that they were rather smug about both. They had money, and it was not easy to, uh, to go against them. Well, Jesus begins this letter as he does all of his other letters, talking about himself first. And he says that he has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, when the number seven is used figuratively, it refers to either the fullness of the quality of something or the perfection. So here Jesus is saying he has the seven spirits of God. He's talking about he has the perfection of the spirit of God. And Jesus gives his spirit to Christians, and the spirit gives us life and sustains life. Then Jesus says he holds the seven stars in his hand. The seven stars, we find out in the book of Revelation, refer to the seven messengers or pastors of the, of the churches, and they speak Jesus' words to the churches. This also shows Jesus' authority over the churches. 
Now, in at least two of the other letters, Jesus starts with good about the church, but in this one, he starts with the bad. And there's four things that he says, and they're kind of scattered a little bit through the letter. The first one, he says, you have a reputation. Literally, it is, you have a name for being alive, but you're dead. Well, the danger, today's danger that we're looking at is focusing me focusing on my reputation in a way that I'm not living the Christian life that God calls us to. So Jesus says to them, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And here he doesn't mean physically dead. He's talking about spiritually dead. But spiritually dead doesn't mean that he's talking about us losing our salvation. We actually sang in one of our songs, God is the one who holds us. God is the one who rescues us, and God won't forsake us. And so if he's claimed us as his, that is secure. We're not going to lose it. The idea here is that Jesus is saying, you have a reputation not only for being alive, spiritually alive, but also strong. But in reality, you've lost your spiritual vitality. And actually, you're very spiritually weak. You're mostly dead. But not all dead. When Jesus says, you have a reputation, this implies that at one time there was something good there. So there is still spiritual life in the people of the church in Sardis. But that spiritual life has been obscured. It's been weakened by their disobedience, by them turning away from God, by them chasing, in this case, their own reputation. So let's talk about reputation. First thing is this. All of us have one. We all have a reputation, whether it's good, bad, or mixed. Secondly, it's okay. It's right for us to desire to have a good reputation for ourselves and our family, for your church, for your work. But this, here's another thought connected to reputation. Every one of us has an outer person and an inner person. The outer person is what most people see when they look at you, how you dress, how you speak, what you do, and the way in which you do what you do. Things like that. And people who don't know you well, don't know you intimately, they're going to base their perception of your reputation on that. But then there's the inner person. And the inner person is the real you. Well, here's the danger connected to our danger today. It is easy to focus just on the outer person, to focus on the reputation that we have with other people, or the reputation you want to have with other people and ignore the inner person. Well, here's the problem. The inner person shapes the outer person. So, for example, if we're focusing just, you know, put our blinders on and we're just focusing on our reputation, one of the things that can happen easily is that we can become proud if we think we have a good reputation and look down on others. We can also lie and manipulate because we want to protect our reputation and we think something might be endangering it. So here's a question to ask. Do your outer person and inner person match? Integrity is when the two match, but the issue isn't just being consistent. A person has an attractive character. A person has true integrity when their outer person and inner person match and they're good. An evil person who's openly evil is just being consistent. Okay, outer and inner match, but not good. And nobody wants to be around them either. But when they don't match, one, there's hypocrisy. 
Okay? And God made us that we can sniff hypocrisy out. So easy. But there's also danger. We don't always see the danger. Now, as an example, in the New Testament, most of the Pharisees you read about focused on their outer religious appearance. But the, even in doing that, they could not hide their true self, their inner self, which was selfish and proud. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, but he wasn't the only one who saw them for what they were. Other people saw them as well, which brings me to this point. You and I might hide our inner self for a little while, but it will come out. It cannot help but come out. And Jesus and the good news of what Jesus has done gives us hope. Because Jesus says he changes us from the inside out. And then secondly, Jesus has chosen to love us and accept us where we are right now. Warts and all. Problems and failures and weaknesses and all. So we don't have to worry about hiding our true inner self. Now, our, our letter today is written to a church. Well, churches have reputations too. And what is a church's reputation based on today in our culture? Often, good attendance. The more people that come, the more successful you appear. Lots of ministry activities, Bible studies, home groups, and other activities. Helping the community. Having a nice building. In some churches, it, reputation is centered on the impressive preaching by Reverend Dr. So-and-so. In other churches, they base their reputation on being relevant. Some on a good music program that sounds professional. Some on doctrinal purity. And all of these are okay. But here's the warning. We can all fall into the trap of looking at whatever church we are a part of, and if we see the activities, focus on that and forget the inner self of the church, of the people of the church. You see, it's so easy to think, well, look at all the, you know, look at our church, look at all the good things we're doing. We must be good, we must be okay. But we're not looking at the inner self, and I have to wonder if something like that did not happen to the church at Sardis. I really believe they did start off well, pretty well. But somewhere along the way, they got distracted and they focused on their reputation. And what they ended up with was the first thing that Jesus said. You have an empty reputation. Let's look at the other things. The second one is found actually in the, in the middle of a remedy. In verse 2, Jesus says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So here Jesus is saying, people, wake up and look. You're on a bad trajectory. You think you're in a, going in the right direction, but you're going in the wrong direction. You think you're doing well, but you're not. You're not doing well. Third one, incomplete works. He says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now, incomplete might have to do with partial obedience, which would make sense if, they focus just on the externals. But they've ignored their relationship with God. They've ignored their heart. If that's the case, you're going to only do the things that people see. Other parts you're not going to do. But remember this.
God does not command just obedience. If he did, he wouldn't care what our attitude is. But he cares about our attitude. He also wants faith and delight and love. He wants a relationship with us. He didn't want us to just go through the motions. And then the fourth one is actually found in what he says is good about the church. It's kind of buried in there. In verse 4, he said, Many of the people have soiled their garments. Sometimes sin is likened to dirt and grime. And I think every mother has either experienced this or will. You're going to some special event. You dress your children up. And before you leave, one of the children has gotten out of the house, they've gotten into something they shouldn't, and they are dirty, and you've got to dress them again. Spiritually, that's the picture of us. We're constantly playing in the spiritual dirt and mud, and, and God, Jesus is likening it to this. And so what he's saying is, you've soiled your garments, you've turned away from God, you've disobeyed, but here's the thing, it appears that many of the people in the church at Sardis had turned away and they weren't doing anything about it. In this letter, Jesus does speak good, but it is very brief. He says, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. So he's saying, there are still a few Christians in Sardis who are still obedient and faithful haven't gotten distracted and turned away by looking just at your reputation. But there's only a few. The rest of you have drifted. You've eased into spiritual distraction. And you know, I don't think any, any Christian ever wakes up one morning and says, you know what? I've had enough of being a good Christian today. I'm just going to sow some wild oats. I'm just going to take a wild ride. I don't think we do that. We get distracted as our desires tempt us and we say yes to that desire and so we take a step and then we take another step and we take another step and we start turning and pretty soon off we go in that direction. Well, Jesus gives a promise in the letter to those who are obedient, who have stayed faithful and he says, they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. White is a picture of purity but you and I are not naturally pure God is the one who cleans us up and then walking with Jesus it's a picture of an eternal relationship with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more dirt at least if it is dirt it's good dirt you know we don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like just a little side note I have I know one pastor that I was teaching me in seminary, and he was sure that heaven was going to include baseball because he loved baseball. We don't know yet. Then Jesus gives his remedy. He's talked about these four things they need to change, and now he's going to say, now here's things you can do to fix and to, ch to change what you've been doing. Five parts, I'm going to give it to you in four points. The first one, wake up. He's saying to them, you haven't been paying attention to God. You haven't been paying attention to your spiritual condition, which means they've focused on something else. I remember years ago, helping out on Saturdays with the summer swim team 
that Ron Bossom uh, coached, and there was a dad there. And you knew you were going to hear this if you saw him at the meet. He would be walking around, and he, he was this guy, and he would bellow, Focus! To the team. What was he saying? He was telling the team, Hey, folk, team, wake up, pay attention, get your priorities straight. We're here for a swim meet, and we want to do well. Jesus is saying, wake up, be alert, don't let your guard down against your own sinful nature, don't let your guard down against your pride, look at what's going on, and remember this, the greatest danger that you and I have isn't anything outside of us, it's us, it's our own desires that are in us. Then he says, Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Ask God to strengthen your love and your patience and your service. Ask God to give you the right motives for what you're doing. And then make choices that align your life with Jesus' commands. In a sense, exercise your spiritual muscles. And since we're talking about spiritual strength and spiritual health, what are you feeding yourself spiritually? Now, when I say feeding, what I'm asking is, what are you reading and watching and listening to? What are you thinking and who do you spend your time with? Are you feeding your own desires and your flesh, as the Bible talks about it? Or are you feeding the Spirit and your godly desires that Jesus gives you and His Spirit gives you? See, here's the truth. You can't get healthy eating junk food. Okay, it doesn't matter if it's physical or spiritual. There's a comedian that talks about that. I'm eating my Cheetos and I'm drinking my soda. Jesus, change it on the way down. Okay, well, Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, physically or spiritually. He doesn't do that. The next point has, the two, has two parts. Remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. You know, if you go back and you look at the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, you'll see that God says, Remember a lot, not just a little. He says it again and again. Why does he say that again and again? Because we get distracted. We forget. We put other people and other things ahead of God, and he just kind of fades in our mind. Now, in this verse, in the Greek, the word remember seems to infer that there's been some time from, from when these Christians in Sardis first heard God's truth and when Jesus is now giving the letter. And in the meantime, they let themselves get distracted and they've forgotten. So ask God to shape your thinking and your choices so that you don't forget. And then he says, you've heard the truth, keep it. Live according to the gospel. Now, the gospel is a good church word that we use a lot. It means good news. News is what you'd say about what some, somebody has done. Good news is about what God has done for us. So here's another truth. You and I need the gospel, the good news of the gospel, for a new spiritual life that is first coming to faith in God. And I think every Christian church would agree with that. We need to hear what God has done, the fact that God chose to love us, 
that God has done everything needed to make us right with him, to reconcile us. We need to hear that. Everybody needs to hear that. But in many churches, we forget the second part. And there should be a slide. Oh. Sorry. My bad. My notes say there's a slide. Okay. So, so let me say it again so you get it. You and I need the gospel for a new spiritual life. We also need it for ongoing spiritual life. We need to be reminded every day of the good news. For example, part of the good news, and here I ask this question, how much of the gospel and gospel implications are part of your daily thinking? Well, that's a kind of a highbrow way of saying, are you thinking about what it means, what the gospel actually tells us? For example, when God says that he has forgiven us, you and I need to remember that every time we turn away. Because as the Spirit taps us on the shoulder and the Spirit convicts our hearts, you've turned away from God, you've, you've put something else in front of God, we need to be reminded not only do I need to turn back, but God has his arms open. He's not standing there with his arms crossed saying, I am waiting for you to make this one up. And this was a big one this time. No, he's not tapping his foot. He doesn't have his arms crossed. He doesn't have a frown on his face. His arms are open because he has already forgiven us. And we need to know that. We need to remember that. That's part of the good news of what God has done. So we need the gospel for new spiritual life and we need it for ongoing spiritual life. You see, the good news of the gospel gives us a new basis for our relationship with God. Gives us a new foundation for our relationships, for your work, for every part of life. And here's a key thought. And stomp my foot, ask you to write it down. The good news is the basis for gratitude to God. Don't have a slide for it, but I want you to remember it because it's going to come up again. The good news is the basis for gratitude to God. And then the fifth remedy, Jesus says repent. Means turn back to God, change your thinking, choose and live differently. And then he gives a warning, and it is a very sobering warning. Jesus says, if not, if you won't do these five things, if you won't remember, if you won't repent and turn, if you won't do these things, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, Jesus is writing to Christians. And he says he's going to come against them. Why? Because God cares about his reputation. In the Old Testament, God used the Babylonians against the people of Israel. God used the Babylonians and carried the entire nation from their homeland, their country, to another country. He used the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And there were many people there, many Jews, people of Israel, who thought that would never happen. Couldn't happen. Well, here's what God said to the people of Israel through his prophets, and here I'm going to paraphrase. God said, you claim my name, you claim to be my people, and then you shame my name by the way you live. I will publicly bring all of this on you because I care about my name and I care about my reputation. 
And in a sense, Jesus is saying the same thing to the church at Sardis. You claim my name and you shamed my name. Now, here's the good news. Given what he says here and the fact in the New Testament, we're told judgment begins with the church. It's Jesus' kindness that he's talking to Sardis and giving them a warning. And it's his kindness that he calls us to change as well. But we don't have to shake in our boots. That's part of the good news. If you are a Christian, God's going to call us to account. But we're good with him. Remember, he's, he's smiling. He still has his arms open. But it is a sobering thing to recognize that I can turn away that far that God would, would work in my life in that way. And then, the last part of the letter, Jesus says he will grant to those who conquer three things. First, they'll be clothed in white garments. We already talked about the white, the purity. The clothes, that those clothes were given, they're given to us. It's basically, this represents the purity and Jesus' obedience that is credited to us. Secondly, he says, for every Christian, your name will never be blotted out of the book of life. This is eternal security. This is eternal life, again, that we're given. And then this third one, and I'm so glad he put it because it provides a good balance to all this serious warning we just saw. He says, Jesus says this, he will confess the name of each person that is his before God and the angels. Do you, do you, can you see what that looks like? This is what I think when I, when, as I read this. That Jesus is going to call every Christian forward and he's going to put his arm around you. And he's going to look at God the Father and he's going to look at the angels and he's going to look at everybody else in heaven. And he's going to point at you if you're a Christian. And he's going to say, this is my brother. This is my sister. I love them. I want to spend eternity with them. Let's have a party. That's the picture I see here. Jesus says he will confess our names. He calls us to confess. He says he's going to confess ours before God and the angels. Isn't that amazing? Especially with the truth of who we are and what we've done and how much we need him. Isn't that amazing? Well, today's danger for the church in Sardis is that they fell into focusing on their reputation and they were ignoring their relationship with God. Well, here's a cure for us being consumed by our own reputation, and the cure is to be consumed by God's reputation. And here's where the gratitude comes in, and this is what I mean by being consumed by God's reputation, with God's reputation. When you and I are grateful every day to God for his power and his perfection for who he is, for his rescuing us and loving us and giving us his name, because he's done that if you're a Christian. He's given, a, he's given you his name for being merciful to us, for giving us every good thing we have. If that is with us every day, we're going to want to please him in everything we do. And we're going to want others to know this wonderful God who loves like this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.
We thank you for the warning. We thank you for your truth that you don't sugarcoat our situation, our condition, our need for you. You show us clearly how you love us and how greatly you love us. Lord, help us to be amazed. You know, we just sang, we stand amazed in your presence. Lord, help us to truly be amazed. Help us to, to feed on these truths to grow our gratitude to you, to see how great and wonderful you are and how great our need is that you've completely taken care of. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song.